You are listening to the Manifesting God podcast with your host, Marie Elizabeth. This podcast will uplift and thrust you into the manifestation of the promises of God in your life. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you so much for listening. You are listening again to the Manifesting God podcast. I am your host, Prophetess Marie Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining me on this Monday evening. Let me tell you something. God is doing great things. And the fact that God would even take his time and talk to us and walk us through in this season to this place that we've never been in. I consider God a great, mighty, merciful God for even taking the time out to explain to us what he's going to explain to us tonight, what it is he desires of us. Now, listen, I don't know y'all that know me know I'm the notes person. I like to quote God verbatim. But can I tell you, I got sticky notes all over the place because God is speaking. and He was speaking so fast and so clearly, so clearly as to what he requires of us right now. Right now, he's going to tell us where we are right now, what his expectations are right now. See, because some of us, God is telling me, is is we're confused. We don't know which way to go right now. We don't know what God is asking of us right now. Then there's others who are so, so, so engrossed with their past that they can't move past their past into what God is requiring of them right now. And yet and still, there are those who are trying to mix their past, all of their past, with their now, with their now. And it's becoming too heavy to move forward with all that we're trying to carry with us. It's becoming too much to move forward with all that we are trying to carry with us. I'm not saying that you have to throw everything away, for there are lessons in our experience that we will want to unpack for others in the future, in the future. But the lessons are a lot lighter than actually carrying the experience, the lessons of that we've learned through friendships that have expired, even though those relationships may be family relationships that have expired. They're, they're far heavier trying to carry the actual person than it is just trying to carry the lesson. Some of us are still carrying the burden of acceptance. We still want to be accepted. We don't want to be rejected. We still want to be a part of. And God is saying, for what I'm requiring of you, for what I'm requiring of you, no more can these things go. No more can these things trail with you. You're going to have to make a decision on what it is you want from me based on what I'm asking you because he's posing a question to us tonight. Now, let me just let me just preference what I'm going to say it on the grounds of we're going to talk a little bit about yesterday, the day before, and today. This is not the topic. We're just going to talk about yesterday, the day before, and today. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of what God has been saying to me. So let me begin like this. We understand that 
uh, we understand from reading the Old Testament, let's say, we understand the law as it were, as it were posed to the Israelites. We understand the law. Then we understand when Jesus came, Jesus fulfilled the law, and we understand that we now had faith, right? And then from there, we understood that, okay, now that we have faith and that we believe, now there is something more that God is requiring of us, which would be a relationship. And the issues that we've had in the past, especially in the church, the issues that we've had in the past are the same issues that Israel had, with the same issues that their generations that followed them after the wilderness, after those walks around the mountain, the same, the same issues that they had then are the same issues that we have today. And some of those issues stem around not wanting to let go of the law. Not wanting, not wanting to, not wanting to let go of our door because we're so engrossed that we think that we can please God by what we do. So we don't want to let that go at all. And we don't understand that if we don't let that go, take the lessons, but let that go, then it's hard to walk in faith. It literally will start to collide. And it will start to it will start to set us off in a path where we literally are trying to combine the two. And when we try to combine the two, we have the law that's pulling us this way and we have faith that's pulling us this way. Hence, we can't move forward because we're locked. We're locked into a position that we can't get out. Now, let me go a little deeper with this, and I'm going to share with you what God shared with me. So let's first talk about the law. When we talk about the law, don't worry, I'm going to give you a topic. But right now, I want to tell you what God has been showing me. And when you when we talk about the law, we think about Exodus 21 uh, to 17. See, I jotted down some notes. We think about that. We think about what God was requiring of the Israelites. He basically gave them relationship requirements. He talked about in Exodus 20, 20, 1 through 17, he tells them, then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of slavery. Ye shall have no other gods before me. This is God telling them what he requires. Verse he says, don't make yourself any idols. Verse five, don't worship or serve anything that you create. Nothing that you create. Verse six, show graciousness and love to your, to, to your, to your peers, to your, to your family. Show grace and love. Then verse seven, don't take the name of the Lord God in vain. I'm skimming it. Verse eight, keep the Sabbath holy. And then he began to really break it down for them. Honor and respect your father and mother. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Verse 15, don't steal. Don't give a false testimony. Don't covet. Don't try to take things that are not yours. He literally gave them, gave them not only the rules for his requirements of a relationship with him and how to respect him, but he gave you the rules of engagement, just engagement in life. This is how you're going to make it. This is how you're going to be able to move forward. This is how you're going to be able to move forward forward in life and in relationship with me. And then I thought of Deuteronomy 28, one to six. 
and he began to tell them in verse um in verse one if you diligently listen and if you obey the voice of the Lord your God and be careful to do all the commandments, all that I just listed, you will be blessed in the city. You will be blessed in the field. The offsprings of your body, they will be blessed too. They will be blessed too. So now we're talking about generational blessings based on my obedience. The generations that come after me, they will be blessed too. My seed will be blessed. I walk in, I come out, I am blessed. Now, when we think about the law, it's very important that we 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 understand its point. What was it for? What did it do? How did it help? How did it hurt? So that we don't repeat the mistakes that Israel repeated. Now, we understand today, or if not, I'm about to tell you, because I'm telling you what God told me, the law was a form of discipline. It was a form of discipline. It gave the Israelites, it gives us a reference point, a disciplined reference point. It helps us to understand not only what God requires of us, but really what we should require of ourselves. If God is telling us, do not steal, do not covet, don't take what doesn't belong to you, then theft is off limits to us. So it gives us a point of reference. It gives us a point of of discipline. And I'm just going to skim over these and then I'm going to go into a deep dive and give you more information. So when we think about the law, I know most of us that know the Bible, we immediately think of Moses because of the laws that God handed down through Moses. And Moses was like an extra, I'll I'll say an executioner, but not he, he, he enacted the law. He enacted the law. He made sure that the people understood and followed what God required, much like some of our parents when we were younger, made sure we understood the laws, the rules, the rules of the house, the rules to humanity, how what we were allowed to do, what we were not allowed to do, and what was the punishment if we disobeyed the law. So we look at the law today and we understand the law to be a form of discipline, a form of discipline. So then from there, the law, right? So we just got done the law, just a brief overview of the law. Now let's talk about faith. And I can tell you, literally, I have a chart. I literally, what he was saying it, God was saying to me so fast, I literally drew a chart. So I have arrows going from law to faith. So when I got to faith, we talked, God showed me, I'm saying we talked because I'm telling you, God explained it to me just real clear, just real clear. And we had a conversation about it because I wanted to understand exactly what he wanted me to tell you. So when we talk about Faith. When we talk about faith, we talk about, we think about Matthew 5 and 17, where Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. Verse 17 and Matthew 5, and I'm in the amplified version. It says, do not think that I came to do away or undo the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I did not come to destroy them, but fulfill them. So that tells me, Maria, don't throw away the entire law. 
Don't throw away everything that Moses taught, that God gave Moses, because that is my foundation. That is my discipline. Stick with me. I'm going somewhere. Verse 18 says, for I assure you and most solemnly say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of the pen will pass from the law until all things which it foreshadows are accomplished. So the law will not pass away. And, and guess what? Until I accomplish it, until I do the disciplined act that it requires of me, I must fulfill it. Jesus came to fulfill it. Are we not made in Christ's likeness and the likeness and image of God? Do we not have Jesus as a pattern to follow? So we must remember the disciplines of the law. And we're going to talk more. Stay with me. I am going somewhere. So when we think about that, when we go from that, I go to Galatians. And I go to Galatians 3, 24 and 25. I'm just explaining faith. The, uh, verse, let me see, uh, Galatians 3 and 24 and 25. 24, it says, with the result that the law has become, get this, our tutor. And I'm in the Amplified Version. And our disciplinarian to guide us to Christ so that we may be justified. That is declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty and placed in right standing. We're positioned in a right place with God by faith. But now, but now that faith has come. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the control, the authority of a tutor or a disciplinarian. Why? Because my discipline should have established my faith. It should have established something in me to build on. My discipline should have established something my faith can stand on. How do we think that we can be in Christ with no discipline? So we're going to throw away the entire law and just be wild, as my mother would say, banshee bats, just running around to and fro, claiming we're in faith, but we have no discipline. But we have no discipline. Stick with me. I am going somewhere. Let's talk about relationship. Let's talk about what that looks like. So Matthew 18 and 3, it says, and said, I assure you, we're talking about Christ, you and most solemnly say to you, unless you repent. That is change your inner self. And I'm in the amplified version. Again, your old way of thinking, live changed lives and become like children. Be trusting, be humble, be forgiving. You will never, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Now, how is it that you can change your old way of thinking? How is it that you can change your life? How is it that you can do those things? Back to the law. Are you disciplined? Are you disciplined? We're trying to 
throw away pieces of the scripture that were meant for our learning. So if we don't have discipline, surely we're not exercising faith. And if we're not exercising faith, we have no relationship with God because our belief system is now corrupted. Ephesians 4 and 13, it says, until we all reach the oneness in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, growing spiritually to become a mature believer, a mature believer reaching to the measures of the fullness of Christ. That means we are manifesting his spiritual completeness and exercising our spiritual gifts and unity. Now, those of you who have heard me use this chapter before, it talks earlier in the chapter about God giving to the body, the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, and evangelists, so that the body could be fitly joined in its place, working together, working together in order to secure the promises, the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding of God. In order to do that, you're growing into the stature of Christ. See, the goal is not, yes, we must come to Christ as children. We must, we must be humble. We must be, um, we must be loving. We must be trusting. We must be forgiving, but we are not to stay like children. We are eventually supposed to grow into the stature, into the likeness and the image of Christ. But see, if we don't have no discipline because we threw away the law, now our faith is corrupted. Our belief is corrupted and we have have no more relationship. Listen, stick with me. Stick with me. When Jesus came to do away with the law, when he came to fulfill the law, receiving Jesus and salvation required faith. Simply one is required to believe that Jesus is the son of God and that his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection is signifies and is evidence of the gift, the gift of eternal life. The law is not fulfilled through faith. The law is fulfilled through Jesus Christ, but the law does provide with us, provide to us a discipline that is needed and applicable to our faith. Because once we believe it is through that discipline, through that discipline that we are able to live out and share what we believe. See, we're not getting the first principles. We're throwing away the first things. We think we can do whatever we want because we believe God. We think we can do whatever we want because of the, the grace of God. But God has set that thing in order in the Old Testament through Moses as to what he requires of us. The New Testament, the uh, new, the Ten Commandments are still alive today. If I don't believe they're still alive, go steal. Go still and see if the law that's for the lawless don't meet you there. If you don't believe the Ten Commandments are still true today, go commit or adultery with some woman or some man's spouse and see what, what uh, bullet has your name on it. If you don't believe that the law is for the lawless, okay? What God is doing right now, what God is trying to do right now is what? Propose. He's trying to propose marriage, but he can't propose marriage to someone who is undisciplined and is not committed. 
Much like today, it can't happen if we're not disciplined and committed. Why? Because marriage, relationship takes discipline. It takes commitment. It takes faith. It takes faith. And eternal relationship with him is what he's trying to propose to you today. We don't hear it as much as we used to anymore. But let's be clear. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. He can't come back for a bride that is not prepared to accept his proposal. When Jesus Christ came, he fulfilled the law. Activating faith is not always easy then for those who are who who don't understand the foundation on which your faith is built is displayed the discipline the discipline why because when we saw then what we see today the same thing we see today rather than fully walking in faith this is what they did then rather than fully walking in faith they attempted to combine the law and faith more law than faith because they couldn't understand Jesus and they couldn't understand that he was a human being and fully a human being and fully a spiritual being. They couldn't grasp, some couldn't grasp that he was the son of God. They couldn't grasp that. They couldn't, they couldn't wrap their mind around how that could be true. So what happened is they would try to operate literally in both of them. Try to try to enforce the law, but follow Jesus too. You cannot do them both. You cannot do that bo them both. Yet discipline is required to follow Jesus. Huh? Discipline is required to follow Jesus. Again, we cannot go doing whatever we want to do and then call ourselves in faith. We must evolve. We must prioritize now the now over the previous. We must, pr pr we must prioritize the now over the previous. We must prioritize the now and we must understand what role our past plays in our today so that we can drop the load, the extra burdens that are actually besetting us. They are besetting us. So let me say it like this. So when we think of the law, right? The law instilled in Proverbs 22 and 6, it says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So think back to when you were a child. You learned, like I said, requirements. What, what are the rules of the household that you live in? What are the rules to just being a, an adult? What are the rules to growth? What can you what can you and can you not do in society? Now listen, it doesn't matter whether you had parents to teach you the law, teach you these 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 uh these rules or teach you, guide you in this. It doesn't matter if you had parents or if you had experience. Some people had real life experience that told them the do's and the don'ts and what, what worked and what did not work in, in life. They knew what did not and what did and did not work in life, just experience alone. So whether you had parents or not, there was learning going on as you were growing up. And some of us missed some of the lessons. I often, I often, um, you know, sometimes I'm talking with my daughter and we're talking about, you know, what she's doing here. And she talks about the different type of people she comes in contact with. And I explained to her one time, I said, listen, I said, you have to understand. I said, adults are nothing but children with experience. 
Some of us are nothing but children with experience, with life experience. Now, if we're smart about it, the life experience will mature us. But sometimes the life experiences, we don't relax and let them mature us so that we become a wise adult. I see it every day in the workplace. You see, uh, how about this? You see the, the gossiping adult in the workplace. And I tell my children, I said, that is nothing but a child that used to tattletale as a child and nobody ever punched them in the mouth. Nobody ever let them know that's not good. That, that won't be appreciated. So they're adults and they're still gossiping and tailbearing because they never got punched in the mouth. See, they never, they never got the lesson. They never got the lesson. So we, we don't, we don't ridicule. We teach them the lesson, whether it be by conversation, which sometimes it's, it's hard to teach an, all, an adult a trick. Uh, I don't want to say that. It's, it's hard to teach an adult sometimes a new thing. It's hard sometimes to explain. Sometimes you they have to experience and then after they experience it and get the backlash from it, then you can come up and say, listen, the issue is that you went and told blah, 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 this, that, that. And that person is upset with you. So this is the this is how we're going to change that behavior. You're going to apologize and you're going to learn how to be a confidant. And if you can't keep your mouth closed, then you're going to tell them, I'd rather you not tell me that. So there's always opportunities to learn and relearn. The point is, do we want to? Do we want to? Because I'm telling you, there's some lessons in the Old Testament and the law that some of us are leaving behind and we need to pick those up because we're undisciplined. We're undisciplined and we think that we are walking in faith and we are not. So as we mature, if we have learned the lessons, if we have, if we have learned the do's and don'ts of society, if we have learned the rules to managing a household, managing our children in a household, explaining to them the do's and the don'ts of life, understanding just simply how to interact and have relationships. If we have learned all those things, if we have learned all, I'll say the law, if we have learned that as we mature, Faith will begin to manifest as we mature. First Corinthians 13, 10 and 12 in the King James Version, it says in verse 10, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, when I became a woman, I put away childish things. And that verse, the previous verse, when that which is perfect is, is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When that which, when a full understanding comes, verse 10, when a full understanding comes, then my partial understanding is done away with because now I have a full understanding. Hence, I don't act anymore as a child. I put that, that, that half, that part, partial understanding away because now I have a full understanding. Verse 12 says, for now we, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now that I am in the face of that experience, now that I am in the face of truth, now that I am in the face of truth, now I know in part, so what I knew in part, but then shall I know 
even as I am known. So then shall I understand. Then shall I understand because now I can comprehend it as an adult, as we mature. We are to take what we have learned and we adapt it. This, this is the automatic thing. As we mature, we take all the things that we have learned and, it, and we adapt it unknowingly, unwittingly to our choices and to our beliefs. We do this subconsciously. Anything that I've learned as a child, automatically as I grow and I begin to understand more things, the thing that I learn, it becomes submissive. It it must adapt to my choice. It must adapt to my choices. It must adapt to my new beliefs. It must adapt. I think about, I think about here the things that I was allowed to do as a child and some things I wasn't allowed to do as a child. I grew up in a home where my mother felt like young ladies should be formally dressed. So for example, I wasn't allowed to wear sneakers. I could only wear sneakers uh, on gym days while having gym. I had to change. I had to leave the sneakers at school. And I, when it was gym day, during gym, I could put the sneakers on. But then I had to leave the sneakers in the locker and I had to come back home. And what my mother dressed me in, which was dress slacks and a blouse. And that's what I wore. I didn't wear a dress. I wore dress slacks and a blouse. And you wore shoes. You did. She did not allow me to wear sneakers. Now, as I got older... As I got older, did I did I not wear sneakers? I wore I adapted the sneakers to my choice. So then the sneakers became something I wore in the gym. And then as I got even older, the sneakers became something I wore with my casual wear, my sweatsuits on the weekends that I like to wear with my sneakers. So then it so you see the choice, just the teaching that she taught me is still there. It just adapted to my choices. Now, I still won't wear sneakers to work. I still, I will wear sneakers to church if it's a casual event, but I won't just wear sneakers to church because that's not, it's the teaching that she taught me is still there. Sneakers are for casual wear. Sneakers are for gym. They're for fun. So it's still there, but I've adapted what was taught to me according to my choice. And my choice still aligns with what is right, what is true, according to how I've been taught taught. Now, if you're wearing sneakers every day, does that make your choice the wrong choice? No. It makes that, that choice align with your original, what you've been taught. Whatever law that was laid before you, then you're, then you're adjusting that law to your choices and to your beliefs, much like our faith, much like our faith, it evolves based on what we've been taught, based on what we understand of the law. We understand that Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. If we didn't understand that, we'd still be running around looking for sheep and, and looking for cattle and looking for things to bring on Sunday morning to sacrifice. We'd still be doing that if we didn't understand that Jesus was the ultimate blood sacrifice. Some of us started out, when we think about faith, we started out in Sunday school. We learned of God. Then faith came and we began to believe God. And as we became 
to know more about God and have experiences in God, have life experience. We grew and we came to trust God. So the one Sunday school lesson evolved into a full trusting of God. Why? Because it was coupled with experiences, life experiences. It was coupled with maturity and things that we came to learn, much like our relationship with each other. It evolved. It evolves. Think about your spouse or someone that you're close to. Your relationship has evolved over time. See, it, it evolving is expected. It's expected that our relationship with Christ will evolve and cause us to what? Become one with him. A marriage. We're trying to get to a marriage. Come on. Let's be clear. In the earth, there is no man. No man that wants to date a woman or a young woman forever. The key is man, not boy. There is no man that wants to, I'm not talking to the boys. There's no man that wants to date a woman forever. Uh, ultimately, he wants her to be solely committed to him, solely his. So he takes her out. And he gets to know her. He gets to know her likes and dislikes. She does the same. She gets to know his likes and dislikes. They have a conversation. They decide, can we be committed to each other based on what we know of each other? They make a decision, yes, because we love one another. And then a commitment, a commitment pursues, a commitment pursues, and it manifests as a marriage. As a marriage, once he has learned the do's and don'ts of dealing with her, he knows her law. He knows what, what makes her tick. She knows his law. She knows what makes him happy. She knows his law. Then it begins to graduate. She believes in him. She trusts him. She believes in his visions. He believes in her vision. He believes in her. He believes in her vision. She believes in his vision. They believe they share a likeness, a oneness. The only thing left is the marriage. Is the marriage is the marriage so he gets to this place with the he wants the singular the man gets to the point where the singular goal then becomes marriage marriage making her making him completely yours yours alone this is where Christ is trying to get with us I want to make you mine alone I want you to be my bride alone alone. The goal is ultimately what? To become one with Christ, to become one with him. John 17, it says it like this. These words spake Jesus when he prayed. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son may glorify thee. Verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through the word. Then you skip down to verse 21. He says, that they may all, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. They may be one in us. Jesus is praying to God. I want them to be one in us that the world, why? There's a purpose so that the world can believe that you sent me. Can you please make them one with me? 
and one with us so that the world can believe that you sent me. Verse 22 says, and the glory which thou gavest me, I give it to them that they may be one. So for those of you who want to celebrate the glory of God upon your life, if you want to properly celebrate the glory that God has put on your life, then you will be a disciplined one walking in faith and oneness with your sister and brother. All the glory on your life and you can't agree with nobody. All the glory in your life you can't walk with nobody. All the glory in your life and you can't walk with your sisters and brothers in Christ. I submit you don't have any glory on your life. I submit that you don't have any faith and that you have no discipline. You can't walk with your brothers and sisters in Christ, but you have faith. You can't walk with your sisters and brothers in Christ in oneness, but the glory of God is upon you. Come on. We are, we God, Jesus. Now we're talking about Jesus. He is praying to God and telling God, can you make them one with me? Like I'm with you and then make them one with us. Because that's the only way people are going to believe that you sent me. That's the only way people are going to believe that you sent me. Now, when I, I see here that this phrase that they also may be one in us and that they may be one, that one, I see that phrase twice here. And that, that of course, I tend to um, want to refer back. Okay, where did I first see that at? Where did I first get that, hear that oneness at? Where did I first see that at? I saw that in Genesis 2. Genesis 2 and 19, where, where the Lord God had formed out of the ground, the wild animals, the birds, and the skies, and he brought them to Adam. The Adam would name them, but he saw that there was no one for Adam. Adam didn't have a suitable, a suitable uh, companion. So the Lord, he caused Adam in verse 21 to fall asleep, and then he took Adam's rib and he made the woman from Adam's rib. And then verse 23 tells us, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of the man. This is why the man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. They become one flesh. They become one. I thought of when I saw that and I saw the one I, I couldn't put a name. I couldn't, I couldn't get the name. What are you requiring out of us, God? And he said, I'm trying to marry you. I'm trying to propose, but there's so there's such a long line in front of me of all the others you have accepted that you can't even see me on bended knee. You can't even see me reaching. For you trying to make you one with me. See, if we've understood the need for the law correctly and have been able to comprehend faith, we indeed have become one flesh with Jesus Christ. When he walked on the earth, when he walked on the earth, why? Because he was a disciplined one. He was a disciplined one. He was a disciplined one. So if we have di that discipline, that level of discipline, if we have faith to believe that God is who he said he is, he sent his son, Jesus, for us. Now we're least to the point where we're walking as Christ walked. So we at least are becoming one in the flesh. When Christ walked in the flesh, we are at least 
becoming one with him. But God said, I need you to step it up because in order for marriage to occur with me, I'm looking for an eternal love. I'm looking for an eternal love. And that only comes by the spirit, only by relationship. We discipline our flesh and we walk in the power of God. Now for a relationship, a marriage, we must be one with Christ as he is one with God. That will require spiritual relationship, which to date for some of us has not yet fully manifested because we are resisting. We are resisting leaving stuff behind leaving folk behind. We are resisting leaving father and mother, huh? sister and brother, uh-huh. church, friends behind and gravitate to God through Jesus Christ. Our priorities, ladies and gentlemen, are all mixed up. So we allow man, we allow our feelings, we allow our emotions, we allow worldly gifts, what we can have, things we desire to dictate what we're going to be in relationship with what we're going to be in relationship with. See, the goal is for one to return to the same love by which they are loved and commit until death do us part. Until death do us part. That is in the flesh. Does Christ, does Jesus Christ who died for our sins, not having a right, a desire to eternal, does he not, let me say that again. Does Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins, does he not have a right to request? Does he not have a right to request eternal life with us? Does he not have a right to expect to be chosen as the one does he not have a right to expect to receive the same love that he's given to us? Does he not have a right to expect that same love in return? Ladies and gentlemen, does he not have that right to expect that from us? Is he, is he asking too much? Is he asking too much of us to, to love him in return? Come on, because he, he, we're making it hard. We're making it hard on him. We're making it hard on Christ because he's sitting here waiting for an opportunity. Can I get your attention? I want to propose to you because I love you and I want to marry you. See, because I'm returning. I'm returning just for you. I'm returning just for you. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. There is no man, let's how about this? No man in the natural is going to go through all the changes once he feels once he realizes he loves you and he wants you to solely be his. No man, no woman is going to go through all the change that it takes for the wedding. You know, we're not going to go through the headaches of planning the wedding day, tolerating the relatives and planning, you know, uh and and tolerating all that it takes to get the bridesmaids together and get all of that together. No man or woman is going to go and get the groomsmen together. No one is no one is going to go through all the planning that it takes to make all of that happen and get there and marry and marry and marry and marry the bridesmaids. No, they're going through all of that because they want the bride. They want the bride. They don't want to marry what's hanging around the bride. They don't want to marry what's in the bridal court. They want the bride. They want the bride. So how about we 
Stop hanging around. Stop hanging around the bride and become the bride. Huh? How about that? How about we stop? How about we stop? We stop. We stop counting ourselves in the mist and actually be the thing that God desires. See, to do that, to be that, it's going to require a discipline. It's going to require a discipline. It's going to require a faith. It's going to require faith. But the eternal gift of love that you receive in return, the eternal gift of love that you receive in return for all that you deal with, for all that you go through, it will be worth it. It's going to be worth. It's going to be worth the friends that left you. It's going to be worth the family that called you crazy. It's going to be worth all of that. It's going to be worth being rejected. It's going to be worth being called all the names that outcast that an outcast is called. It's going to be worth all of that. It's going to be worth all that if you'll come out of the bridal court and actually step up to the altar and be the bride. Be the one that God is calling for. Be that person. See, the price is a discipline applied to your faith that can manifest a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to get married. It's time for us to enter into a relationship with Christ. See, because if we understand the law, then we have the discipline. If we understand the faith, stand understand faith, then we understand that Jesus fulfilled filled the law already. Then we understand relationship and we're not, we're not going to court forever. We're not going to court forever. We're eventually supposed to be the bride. We're supposed to be the bride. We're supposed to become one with Christ. So what is God after right now? He is after the marriage. I am trying to propose to you. We've gone through all the phases. We've gone through all our generations. They're going through the phases. We've gone through the phases when we've been taught what God expects of us. We've gone through the phases where we were able to have experiences that we apply our faith to. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the marriage. So what are we talking about? We're we're talking about when we get married. When will we get married? When we get married. That's our topic for today. When we get married, when we get married, we will understand eternal love, but we must forsake the temporal love for eternal love. When we get married, we will understand true relationship, but we must reject the false relationships before we can be entered into the true relationship. When we get married, we won't have a desire anymore for the idols, the things that we create, the situations and the circumstances that we create. We will want what God has already promised to us in eternal life. When we get married, we will be clear on relationship required. We will be clear and we will put aside that which does not align with Christ. When we get married, we won't be suffering from spirits of rejection because we'll understand that we eternally accept it. So we won't be begging mother, father, sister, brother to love us and to receive us into their home, into their dinners. Why? Because we have we are sitting at the table with Christ and he is serving us himself when we get married but we must decide 
We must decide if we are willing. We must decide if we are willing to forsake all others. We must decide if we are willing to put aside every care of this world and reach for the things of God. We must decide if we're ready to take those wedding vows where we're saying, I, ma'am or sir, I take thee, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be my wedded bridegroom, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health to love and to cherish eternally in death, in sufferings, in misunderstandings, in my bad decisions, in my choices. I will not part from you, O God, according to God's holy ordinance. And thereunto I pledge thee my faith. When are we going to be ready to take those wedding vows? When are we going to be ready for the bride to receive the ring from our bridegroom? He's kneeling, ladies and gentlemen. He's kneeling for you. He has, he has the ring box in his hand. Eternal life is going around. Eternal, eternal. He has the ring box in his hand. He's on one knee, ladies and gentlemen. Bended knee. Bended knee. Asking you to marry him. We are no longer in the place where we can tie, try to tie the law in with, with faith. We are no longer in the place where we can we can walk into a relationship still connected to things, laws of our past, laws that are that conflict with faith. We are no longer in that place, but we are in a place now where we need to receive and accept the proposal of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in a place now. We are in a place now when we have to look in the mirror and ask our own selves, ma'am, sir, when will you get married? When will you accept God's proposal? When will you receive, allow him to receive your hand and place the eternal ring of life upon it? When will you speak your vows, your vows of commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ? When will you put aside all others? No, no, no more of Affairs of the heart, no more affairs of the mind, no more affairs with rejection, no more affairs with, with my past, no more affairs with lying, no more affairs with stealing, no more affairs with drugs, no more affairs, no more, no more trying to combine my my God with, with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, no more trying to combine what I build with my hands that I worship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm choosing today to accept the, uh, the proposal of the Lord Jesus Christ. When, when will we get married, ladies and gentlemen? When are we going to forsake all others and cleave to the Lord Jesus Christ? Sickness and health. See, because we run off when things don't go the way we want them to go. We run off when sickness comes. We run off when we're feeling healthy and we can do whatever we want. We run off when we feel like God is not providing for us. We leave. We leave him. We leave him. But I'm here to tell you, he's still on bended knees asking for your hand in marriage. Well, ladies and gentlemen, when will we get married? When, and I'm pressing that 
into your spirit so that every time you you lean towards forsaking the Lord God, whether it be in your mind, in your actions, or your behaviors, I'm pressing it into your mind. When will I get married? When will I get married? I'm pressing it into your knower so that even when your flesh would try to lead you astray, the question will come up, when will I get married? Sickness and health, ups and downs, my choices, my bad decisions. I still choose you, God. I choose you in faith. I choose you eternally, God. I receive and I accept your proposal. When will you get married? When, 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 when? The question is for you to answer. When will you get married? married. No more trying to merge things that you choose in with Christ. No, it's Christ and it's Christ alone. I'm fully committed to Christ and Christ alone. Christ and Christ alone. When will you? When will we? When will I get married? God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, oh God, for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that you've suffered along with us. And I thank you, God, that you have you have extended your hand in marriage to us. I thank you, oh God, that you are calling us to be yours and yours alone. I thank you, oh God, that you are calling us away from those things, those things, God, those experiences that we haven't been able to let go. I thank you, oh God, that you are calling us away from our past. I thank you, Oh God, that you are calling us away from seductress, from liars, from stealers. I thank you, oh God, that you are calling us away and you're calling us solely to you. You're aligning us solely to you. And I thank you, oh God, that you are our Savior, our Lord, and our Deliverer. And you have kept your word. You have promised never to leave us. You promised never to forsake us. And through everything, oh God, your pathways for us, you have still made clear that we can see you with your hands extended towards us proposing marriage to us, proposing eternal relationship with us. When will we get married? We choose you now, Lord God. We choose you, oh Savior God. No longer shall we look to the left or to the right, but our eyes, they're fixed like a flint on you. You're the only one for us, oh God. My love, you're the only one for me. My Savior, you're the only one for me. My deliverer, you're the only one for me. You're, the, you're my provider. No one takes better care of me than you. No one, no one provides for me like you do. No one soothes me when I'm in anguish like you do. No one catches my tears like you do. No one loves me like you do. So I accept your proposal today, God. My Savior, my Deliverer, the lover of my soul. I give you glory. I give you honor. I put away. I reject that which has rejected me. I no longer reach behind me, but I reach toward me. I reach to you, oh God, and for you, the lover of my soul, the love of my life. 
my Jesus, my Savior, my God, my deliverer, my strong tower. You hold me up with your right hand. When the enemy comes in like a flood, I'm not sure you hide me. You hide me. You're my greatest protector and defender, my Savior. I give you glory and I give you honor. I thank you today for joining me. And uh, I, I, I'll see you on next Monday at 7 p.m. And I encourage you to go to my website. There's material there for you at www.marieelizabeth.org. And I encourage you today to think on these words. Share this broadcast with someone so that you can provoke them to good works, provoke them to marriage, provoke them to loving the Savior that loved them first. Amen. I thank you so much for joining me. And may God bless you and may he keep you. Thank you so much. Good night.